Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on Facebook or our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Today we close our time in 1 Thessalonians. I want to begin by drawing your attention to a word that's not in our text. And you might find that strange, but it's a word that I believe Paul very much wants to hear from the Thessalonians. And that word is... Amen. Amen. This is a Hebrew word. The Hebrew word literally is Amen. And it's a word that's been transliterated into most languages that the Bible has been translated into. That is to say that most of the time, we simply put the word Amen instead of its meaning when creating a translation. So what does the word Amen mean? First, it means this. This is the truth. And you might actually see the word amen translated a little bit in your Bible if you see the words truly, truly. But amen also can mean, I believe. And most often in the New Testament, it means a mixture of these two meanings. This is the truth and I believe. Amen becomes an affirmation of, I agree, or usually it's we agree. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 reads like this. For all the promises of God, they find their yes in Him, meaning Jesus. This is why, through Him, we utter our Amen to, the, to God for His glory. So it's there, it's Paul saying, we utter our Amen, our we agree, this is the truth, we believe. Amen also appears, actually, as the name of Jesus. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, reads like this, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. When it says the words of the Amen, it's a name. And these are the words of Jesus, the Amen. And I remember back in years past, our former general superintendent, Dr. John Williams, how he described the word Amen. He described it as the body of Christ standing together saying, Ah, yes, we agree. We will do this. So why am I spending so much time on a word that does not appear in the final words of 1 Thessalonians? I want you to listen for the amen that's being asked of us. I can hear that it's needed. And as we read the text, you can hear that Paul is wanting his Thessalonian church to respond, Ah, yes, Paul, we agree. We will do this. And the same question is being asked of you. Do you hear the needed amen? As we close our time in 1 Thessalonians, we're going to be asked to respond to this letter. And can we say, Amen? Can we say, Ah, yes, I agree. Specifically today, we're being asked to say yes to God working out sanctification in us and living and us living in unity as the body of Christ. When we say yes to the power of God working in our life, the trials of life are better faced and better overcome. Let's hear the word of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 through 28. And can you hear the call for us to say, Amen? Verse 23 begins like this. Now may, the, <coughs> now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. 
Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And thus ends Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. Now, I know that we've read verse 23 several times over the last few weeks, and you're probably maybe getting a little tired of hearing that, you know, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's goal for the Christian, that we would stand blameless before Christ on the day of his return. And this verse 23 is both a prayer and a blessing from Paul. Paul is bidding the Thessalonians farewell, and in these final words, he wants them to read his prayer for them and for us. God here is named the God of peace. We talked about that last week. The Greek word for peace is arene, and it finds its meaning in the New Testament really from the Hebrew word of peace, which is shalom, which means wholeness. The God of of peace, or the God of wholeness. That is the blessing that Paul prays over us, that we would be made whole by the God of wholeness. The chief way that God brings wholeness into our lives comes in two steps. First, wholeness comes through the redemptive work of Christ. We cannot be whole without the forgiveness of our sins. But secondly, wholeness is brought into our lives as God works out sanctification. So let's talk about sanctification. We talked about holiness earlier in the sermon series, and sanctification is holiness, but we need to revisit it here because Paul is saying, May the God of peace, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And I think that word sanctification, it is a large theological word, and because of that, it can be a bit elusive to us. So I want to take some time and expand on our understanding of sanctification. I appreciate Millard Erickson's definition of sanctification. He describes it as the process by which your moral character is brought into alignment with your legal status before God. That is to say, we are redeemed, we are saved, we are justified because of Christ and what he's done upon the cross. That he has set us free from the penalties of our sins. That happens in an instant. This happens so quickly. But sanctification is a process that happens slowly over a lifetime in which our character, our moral character, is refined to match the salvation, the legal standing we have before God. The story is told of a young girl who accepted Christ as her Savior and applied for membership in a local church. An old deacon inquired, Were you a sinner before you received the Lord Jesus into your life? Yes, sir, she replied. Well, are you still a sinner? To tell you the truth, I feel I'm a greater sinner than ever. Then what real change have you experienced, inquired the deacon. And she responded, Well, I don't know quite how to explain it, except that I used to be a sinner running after sin. But now that I'm saved, I'm a sinner running from sin. She was received into the fellowship of the church, and she proved by her consistent life that she was truly converted. It's character being made line up with the legal status we now have before God. Sanctification is a process requiring a lifetime. It's a journey where you become more or less sanctified. You can go forward and you can kind of go backwards in it too. 
It's a process of transformation. And again, Millard Erickson describes sanctification as the Holy Spirit applying Jesus Christ to the life of a believer. That is, we bear more and more the image of Jesus in our life. Most importantly, and perhaps most confusingly, sanctification is accomplished by the power of God. We just talked about how the Holy Spirit does this. In our text today, it is Paul's prayer that the God of peace sanctifies you completely. God is the one who does it. Titus chapter 2 verse 14 tells us about Jesus working out sanctification in us, and it says, Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. It says that he is redeeming us from all lawlessness, but also that he purifies us. We are only made holy by God's power. And yet even Titus chapter 2, verse 14, which we just read, tells us a little bit about what's confusing about sanctification. It, sanctification. it only happens by God's power, and yet we are told to be zealous for good works. Only God's power accomplishes it, but we are to be the willing participants. And that's the trick of sanctification. God will work sanctification in us if we let him. John Flavel says this, It's easier to cry against 1,000 sins of others than to kill one of your own. Yeah, ouch, how many times am I been guilty of seeing the sins of others instead of my own and dealing and having Jesus deal with my own sins. And perhaps we're all guilty of that. We can see the faults of others first and, and see our flaws last, but we need to be willing to let God work in us. C.S. Lewis writes this, and he says, When I was a child, I often had a toothache. And I knew that if I went to my mother, she would give me something which would deaden the pain for that night and let me get to sleep. But I did not go to my mother, at least not till the pain had become very bad. And the reason that I did not go was this. I did not doubt that she would give me the aspirin. But I knew she would also do something else. I knew that she would take me to the dentist the next morning. I could not get what I wanted out of her without getting something more, which I did not want. I wanted immediate relief from my pain, but I could not get it without having my teeth set permanently right. I knew those dentists. I knew they would start fiddling out with all sorts of other teeth, which had not yet begun to ache, and our Lord is like the dentists. Dozens of people go to him to be cured of some particular sin. Well, he will cure it all right, but he will not stop there. That may be all you asked, but if once you call but if you once call on him, he will give you the full treatment. God does the work, but we have to be willing to set up the appointment and willing to let him do the full work. The God of peace will sanctify us if we let him. So Paul moves from sanctification to a second element for success in the Christian life. And it's this, he's talking about how, and maybe you didn't see it, the church is healthiest and best able to serve the Lord when it is unified. And you might not have been expecting that, but verses 25, 26, and 27 of our text today, it's one last rapid-fire series of commands, and we could make much about these commands individually, but together, these commands describe group participation, group activity. In other words, Paul, in his last few parting words, is calling the Thessalonians to unity as the church. 
And so here are those verses. Can you hear the commands when he says, pray for us? It's there right there in verse 25. Pray for us. Paul's invitation, it's an invitation from Paul to the Thessalonians to participate in the mission of the apostles. Paul does not tell them, ah, you're just not cut out for missionary work. You're stuck in Thessalonica. Paul encourages unity by inviting the Thessalonians to join him in his mission. It is not an us and them situation in ministry, but rather Paul knows that the gospel moves forward when every Christian unifies in purpose of ministry. So he invites the Thessalonians to do their part in the work that God has called Paul to do. He says, pray for us. You need to be unified in this. Verse 26, he says, greet each other with a holy kiss. I get it. This may not be the most pandemic-friendly phrase to be reading right now. Even outside of social distancing, without that in mind, this verse has always made a lot of people uncomfortable. How do you greet somebody with a holy kiss? But this is a common command in the New Testament. You can find it in other places. It's in Romans chapter 16, verse 16. It's in 2 Corinthians 13, 12. It's in 1 Peter 5, verse 14. Paul asks, and and other letter writers in the New Testament ask to greet each other with a holy kiss. And this greeting each other with a holy kiss, or greeting each other with a kiss, was a common practice in the Roman world. And it was especially true of Roman families. So how do we practice a, a holy kiss today? Now, please know, I don't think that actually greeting each other with a physical kiss is what's being called for here. And I think that news is relief to some of you who are hearing this, and maybe a disappointment to others. But greeting with a kiss was especially important to the Roman family. It was an an expression of acceptance and unity. And now Paul is telling the church, the family of God, the brothers and the sisters of Christ, to greet each other with a holy kiss. They are to greet each other with an act that declares, we are family. We are for each other. We accept one another. Picture for a moment the church in Thessalonica or any church in the ancient world. You have Jews and Greeks together. You have Slaves and slave owners together. You have poor and rich together. You have people from opposite sides of culture together. And greeting each other with a holy kiss was a declaration that said, we will not let social boundaries divide the people of God. And I believe we need that today. We need to be able to greet one another, to live with one another, to worship together in a way that says, I know that there are social boundaries. I know there are reasons that I would probably never talk to you anywhere else in life, but we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are Christians. We are family. And so we will be unified. It may not be a kiss that expresses that, but we need to be looking at one another and saying, how can I tear down the boundaries between us? When you look at your neighbor, can you ask yourself, Have I greeted them with a holy kiss? That is, have I taken down the social barriers between us? Have I had a conversation with the person on the other side of the room? Or have I just not talked to them because maybe they they make more money than I do? Or they have more education? or, Or whatever the reason, they have a different skin color. Whatever it is, what are the walls that divide? And the holy kiss asks us to unify by tearing down the division and being a unified body of Christ. In verse 27, 
Paul says, have this letter read to all the believers. He says, I put you under an oath of the Lord to do this. So it's a serious thing. But it's have this letter read to all the brothers. Verse 27 makes receiving the word of God not just an act of individual discipleship, but a community activity. It must be done together. You know, we take that for granted. Because each of us can so easily have our own Bible to study and read. In Paul's day, the Bible was not found uh, in people's homes. It was found in usually just a synagogue or uh, maybe a very wealthy person would have a copy. Or maybe a wealthy person would have a copy of one book of the Bible. Or a synagogue might have a partial piece of the Old Testament. Reading the Bible had to be done together. You couldn't read it at home on your own. You had to go to the synagogue to hear it. To hear it read. Making sure that every brother had the letter that Paul was writing to the Thessalonians read to them was an act of care. It was an act of discipleship. It was an act that would unify the church. It says, if you don't take the time to make sure everybody hears this, then you will not be unified. So get together. Read it all together. This will bind you together as brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, because we have access to the Bible that's just unparalleled today, we tend to make the study of the Word of God a personal activity. And so we ask questions like, what does God's Word have for me today? And that's good. But there's a reason why we have Sunday mornings. We have corporate worship together, whether it's Sunday or some other time, where we get together as the body of Christ. These times of gathering are so important because in our worship service, we read and hear the Word of God, not just because we can't hear it anywhere else, but because something changes when we hear the Word of God together. I don't think it's enough to ask yourself the question, what does God have for me? We should also be challenged with what does God have for us? So Paul talks about sanctification. He talks about unity. Paul's talked about a lot of stuff. Not just Paul. It's God's word. God has spoken deeply to the Thessalonians. And, and you know, we've spent now 15 weeks in this sermon series in 1 Thessalonians. Bet you some of that, some of you weren't planning on that when we got started. Maybe some of you are going, I am so ready to be done with the series. I hope it's been a blessing to you. But in our study of 1 Thessalonians, God has asked much of us. I have here next to me all the sermons from the series, all the sermons that you've endured, hopefully enjoyed. It's been a long study. I got 106 pages of notes, single-spaced, some 47,000 words. And I hope the study in 1 Thessalonians, during this time, you felt God's call in your life to powerfully live for Jesus. To live for Jesus in the face of a culture that does not accept Jesus. We started and I talked about the series being entitled, Being Gentle Among You. Sharing the gospel and ourselves. We're living in a culture that doesn't always want to hear about Jesus. We're living in a culture that really is at war with Jesus. And we are called to live gently in our culture so that we can share the gospel and share ourselves so that others would know Jesus. I hope you're hearing the need for that word, Amen. 
And oh yes, I agree. Much is asked of us in God's word. Fortunately, he gives us all we need. I want to review very quickly some of the lessons that we've encountered over the last 15 weeks. I promise this will be quick. And you may even go, I don't even remember talking about that, but we have. Each one of these lessons is possible. It's only possible if we let the God of peace sanctify us and allow us to stand blameless before Jesus on the day of his return. You know, we've, we've learned a lot from Thessalonians, but the reality is, is chapter 5, verse 23, may the God of peace sanctify you. That's what allows us to be able to do anything from this letter. So here's some of the lessons real quickly. First, the first week we talked about how real faith is found when it's built on the foundation of God's truth that's put into action. The second lesson we had is real growth happens when we imitate Christ. On the third week, we talked about waiting on the Lord and how waiting on the Lord declares that God's purpose, providence, and provision are better than our own. Week number four, we talked about how to live boldly for God. Week number five, we talked about how to live with godly gentleness. Number six, we all wear crowns. The question is whether you wear a heavenly crown or an earthly one. We talked about Satan our enemy, and how he's real, and how Jesus has given us all we need to have victory over his attacks. We're called to bless and encourage those around us. We are to please God, and this is done by living a holy life. We talked about how rebuilding trust in the midst of conflict comes through quiet, devout Christian living. Jesus has conquered death, and he's rewritten grief for the Christian We talked about how Jesus is coming back and how we're to be ready. We talked about how peace comes from God alone and our eight keys to peace last week. We talked about how God today works sanctification in us if we will let him and how we are called to live as the people of God in unity. A whole lot has been asked of us in this letter and it only works if we're willing to say, yes, amen, God is good, I believe and I will do. I want to close our time by reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 through 28 one more time. Can you hear the need for the word Amen? The need to say, I agree. I hear God's call for me, and I will obey. So once again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 through 28. I pray I read this so we hear it again, but I also read this as a blessing for you. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with the holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the believers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I love that this letter ends with the grace of Jesus. That is where we find victory. Yes? Amen. Let's pray. Amen, God. Lord, we need you to work our sanctification out in our spirit and our soul and our body and our whole being. Help us to let you do this work in us. 
Holy Spirit, make us more like Christ. God, I know that you have glorious plans for your whole church. Help us to act in unity, blessing one another. Lord, help us to be a people who say yes to your working in our lives. And now, as we close this prayer, perhaps we can end our prayer with a new and deeper understanding of the word Amen. And so I pray this in Jesus' name, and the whole church said, Amen. Go with Jesus.